Our fellowship. That's what we want to talk about this morning. Our fellowship. We have come together because our fellowship is with Christ who died upon the cross to solve our sin problem and was raised from the dead so that we can have eternal life. And we have come together as His family to demonstrate the fellowship we have with Him and with one another. This biblical concept of fellowship has the idea of sharing behind it. It's about what we share together in the Lord. And when it comes to sharing, we all realize that children are not very good at sharing, are they? Uh, One of the first words that children learn how to say is, Mine! And we realize that that mine is a sign of their immaturity. That when you mature, you realize it's not all yours. That you share it with many others. And so it may be a little humbling to us to realize how often Jesus had to teach His disciples to share. On one occasion, Jesus was with the eleven and they were uh, bickering about who was going to have more power and the place that they were going to have in God's kingdom. And He comes to them and He says, listen... Not even the Son of Man has come to be served, but to serve and give His life a ransom for many. Being a disciple of Jesus is not about taking and hoarding. It's about giving and serving. Little children may not like to share, but God's children are to be known for it. We are to be a people who as the infant church in Acts chapter 2 came to understand what it meant to be saved in Jesus Christ, one of the first expressions of that is that they continually devoted themselves to the fellowship. They didn't take their salvation takeout style just to to devour in the privacy of their own homes. No, to them to be saved meant that they had a new priority not on themselves, but upon the saved. And they became a people devoted to the fellowship. Over the, we started last week a focus, what we're calling a spring spotlight, in which we're trying to answer the question biblically, what is our place in the church? And one thing we saw last week is that God has saved us and put us in His church so that we might be worshipers. And we expressed that week that this week, as we worshiped together and we put our focus upon the Lord. But this week I want us to see that God created this church so that we might also be a people who find our place in it by being devoted to the fellowship. That we are a people who have been brought together to be devoted to the fellowship, the body of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit, the family of God. Unfortunately, too many churches are like a bunch of marbles in a bag. We all kind of scratch up against one another and make a little noise, but we don't make much of an impact on each other. But God created His church for us to be like a bunch of grapes in a bag where we mush up against one another and we create something that's sweet because of it. God wants His people to be a people who are devoted to the fellowship. But before we consider what that means, I think we need to understand why we need it. 
Why do we need to be devoted to the fellowship of believers? First of all, we are to be devoted to the fellowship of believers because we live in a discouraging place. There are so many people in this world that have so little contact with each other. We used to build houses in this country with large uh, front porches with swings and chairs on them so that we could say hello to the neighbors. What we do now is we build houses with large backyard porches and decks and we build large privacy fences so nobody sees what we're doing. My brethren, God's church is to be a contrast to the kind of coldness that is seen in our culture. It is easy for us to think that we are all alone to live in a world that is being increasingly overcome and run by the evil one, that we begin to think we're the only ones trying to serve the Lord. We can be like Elijah and saying, here I am, the only one who's left. But when we devote ourselves to the fellowship, we learn that we're not the only ones trying to serve the Lord. In fact, it is a devotion to the fellowship that gives our faith strength, and stamina, and we need it because we live in a discouraging place. Secondly, we need to be devoted to the fellowship because this world is a dying place. This world is infected by sin, and sin by its very nature corrupts and divides. Sin is something that brings death wherever it comes. It separates people from God and it divides people from one another. And so we live in a culture where strife dominates marriages and relationships between fathers and mothers and children, where there is strife and division in schools and in government and in workplaces. The dominant concept in the world is that it is a live-for-yourself, cutthroat world where you just do what you need to do to survive. Who cares about anybody else? But Jesus told us that our fellowship, our devotion to one another, is what shines out into the world His value system. You remember what He said in John 13, the night before He died? He said, listen, I'm giving you a new commandment. I want you to love one another in the same way that I love you. It is by this that all men will know that you're my disciples. You see, the world needs a living testimony of a people who love one another like Jesus loves us. That just as the perfect love between a husband and wife reflects the love that Christ has for His church, our love for one another speaks to the world of the character of the Christ that we serve. There is something about the God-created oneness between us that our devotion to one another, despite our flaws and our differences, that draw people to Christ. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, remember we read verse 42, they continually devoted themselves to the fellowship. That chapter ends with this statement. And... They had favor with all of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Here was a group of people who were passionate about being together with one another and caring for one another, and it had such an effect that their world was brought to Christ. 
I suggest to us that being devoted to the fellowship is essential for our own spiritual stamina and strength and health. But being devoted to the fellowship is what our world needs to see among his people. It's not an optional extra for the people of God. It's what it means to be a part of his family. So we have seen why we should be devoted to the fellowship. Let's think a little bit about what this fellowship is and what does it mean to be devoted to it. In the New Testament, the word fellowship comes from a word you've probably heard, koinia, and it's a word that talked about what you had in common together with others. It's found 26 times in our New Testament, but the concept of fellowship is found almost on every page of the New Testament. And this idea of fellowship has to do with the things that we share together in the Lord. Now, we may share a lot of other things together. We may share that we're Americans. We may share that we have certain DNA with certain other people. But there is something special about the fellowship of believers because it describes what we have or share together in the Lord. And to find our place in the church, we need to understand what we share together in the Lord. And it begins in this, with this. We are to be devoted to the fellowship, not because of who you are and not because of who I am, but because of who He is. We are devoted to the fellowship because our fellowship is primarily in the Lord. What binds us together is that we are bound to the Lord. Oh, think about that. What binds us together is that we are bound to the Lord. This is how uh, John put it in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3. He says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, His Son, Jesus Christ. Think about it. We have fellowship together with the Father. Now, you may have some siblings you wish you didn't have a relationship with. But you know what? You've got a relationship with them because you came from the same parents. But I'm glad I've got a relationship with the brother I got from the same parents. I hope you're like that too. But you know what I'm even more thankful for? Is that you and I have the same father. And that makes us family. Our fellowship is rooted in the fact of that we share together in the Lord. Paul writing to the sharply divided church in Corinth. Divided in camps. I like this preacher. I like that preacher. They, they were divided in camps, and Paul begins by reminding them that their true fellowship is with God. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9, he says, God is faithful. And I, in other words, you be faithful too. But He is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So then he says, now you go express that fellowship. You've had fellowship with Christ, now live it out. In fact, you know, every week we come together to take of a meal that reminds us that we are in fellowship with Jesus. We call it the Lord's Supper. 
But do you know it also has another word, another name to it? It's a name in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 called the communion. It was referred to by Jamie this morning, communion. And you know what communion is? It's koinonia. It's the same word, fellowship. It is a fellowship meal that we just partook of. Not only of our fellowship with God, but our fellowship with one another. This is Paul's point in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. He says, The cup of blessing with we bless, which we bless, is it not the communion, fellowship, with the blood of Christ? And the blood, the bread which we break, is it not the communion, the fellowship? of the body of Christ. So he is saying that in the Lord's Supper, what we're doing is we're actually demonstrating our fellowship with God. We're having a fellowship meal with Jesus. Now what's the implication of that? Verse 17. For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. In other words... In the Lord's Supper, we are not just simply celebrating that we have had fellowship with God through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, but that the cross also makes us a one, a one body, a fellowship that has been brought together through the work of Jesus Christ. Brian Leach captured this truth in the song that we sang this morning. Listen to it again. We gather here. In Jesus' name, His love is burning in our hearts like a living flame. Through, for through the loving Son, the Father makes us one. Come take the bread, come drink the cup, come share the Lord. No one's a stranger here, everyone belongs. Finding our forgiveness here, we forgive all wrongs. He joins us here, He breaks the bread. The Lord who pours the cup is risen from the dead. The one we love the most is now our gracious host. Come take the bread. Come drink the cup. Come share the Lord. We are now a family of which the Lord is head. Though unseen, he meets us here in the breaking of the bread. We gather soon where angels sing. And we will see the glory of our Lord and coming King. Now we anticipate the feast for which we wait. Come take the bread. Come drink the cup. Come share the Lord. The New Testament teaches that we are devoted to the fellowship because our fellowship is primarily with the Lord. You know, the Lord Jesus was raised from the dead and He is alive but because He is alive, He has a living church, which is called His body. And the way that we honor the living Lord is by being devoted to His living people, the church. And it is because our fellowship with the Father and our fellowship with the Son, and I might just simply add that three times in the New Testament, it says that we have fellowship with the Holy Spirit as well. That we then have fellowship with one another. You want to love God, love those who have fellowship with God. We are all born of the same, the will of the same Father. We are redeemed by the blood of the same Son. We are indwelt by the same Spirit. 
And that's why in loving gratitude, we devote ourselves to the people who are devoted to him. We have fellowship with the people who have fellowship with him. And that determines this, if you will, the, the limits, the goal of this being devoted to the fellowship. We are devoted to those who have fellowship with him. But, you know, it was surprising to me to discover, secondly, that this idea of fellowship is used in the scripture to describe uh, what we do to have fellowship or save the lost. It's what I came to think of as sharing to save, sharing to save. You see, by God's grace, we all have come to understand that we can be forgiven of our sins. We have received the gospel and we understand the wisdom that it contains so that we can live the life that God created us to live. And if we are just content to keep this information and this salvation to ourselves, it will quickly disappear from the face of the earth. But no, once we have this from the Lord, we are intended to share it with others. In fact, I thought of it as this way. We must share it to save it. We must share it to save it. And one of the things the New Testament churches did is they devoted themselves to the fellowship in participating in the teaching of the gospel to the lost. And they did this in three ways. First, they did so by sharing their possessions so that the gospel could be preached. In, first, in uh, Philippians chapter 1, Paul thanked the church because their fellowship blessed the lost. This is what he said. Philippians 1, verses 4 and 5. In all my prayers for you all, I always pray with joy because of your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. In the fourth chapter, we learned that the church in Philippi had, on a number of occasions, sent money to Paul so that he could preach the gospel wherever he was. And their giving of their possessions had a way of helping him communicate the gospel wherever he was. And they had fellowship in that. Isn't that a beautiful way of thinking about giving? That when we give of our possessions in order to advance the kingdom of God, whether we're the ones specifically doing it or not, we're actually participating. We have fellowship in that work. But in addition to giving money to spread the gospel to the lost, they also participated, had fellowship in the work of sharing the gospel with the lost by their words of encouragement. We find this, for example, in Galatians chapter 2, where Paul has come to the church in, in Galatia, the, churches of, uh, excuse me, the church in Jerusalem, and he has told the church there about how he is preaching the gospel in Galatia to the Gentiles. And it says that James and Cephas and... Um, And John, I nearly left John out, who seemed to be pillars of the church in Jerusalem, when they heard the work we were doing, notice what it says they did. They gave us the right hand of koinonia. They gave us the right hand of fellowship and told us that we should go to the Gentiles. 
What does it mean to be devoted to the fellowship? It means that we care about the gospel being taken out to the world. And we share with our funds so that that gospel can be shared and people be supported to teach it. But then we also come along with words of encouragement. And isn't it, I don't know what the right hand of fellowship was. I don't know. I just know it wasn't a left hook of fellowship. But it was a right hand. It was just something that was encouraging. It was a way of saying, way to go, Paul and Barnabas. Keep it up. You can do it. Go share your light and shine the gospel wherever you go. We're right there with you. It was words of encouragement. And that's fellowship. Fellowship in the sharing of the gospel with the lost by the things that we give and by the words that we say. And then I also find that they also participated in taking the gospel to the lost. The Apostle Paul, when he describes these fellow believers who are helping him and going with him, he often uses the term, my fellow workers, or my partners. You know what that word is? Koinonia. My fellows. It's because what they were having fellowship in was the actual teaching of the gospel to others. And so in the New Testament, what I found was that the fellowship is rooted in our fellowship with God. That it then includes our participation together in the taking of the gospel to the lost. But then, I found that this concept of fellowship also talked about what we share together in the saved. You know, fellowship first looks upward. We're all looking in the same direction to the Lord, our fellowships with Him. And then it all is looking outward to the lost as we are all seeking to share the gospel with them. But then ultimately, fellowship has to do with that which we then turn inward and we look at one another. And we then see the need that we have for one another. We gather in a circle facing each other. The church was never intended, though it sometimes looks like it. I mean, this could be a jumbo jet, right? Right here? A seven, what is a, what's a jumbo one? 87? I don't know. A 797? I don't know. A 1097? It looks like a jet right here. And on a jet, right, we're all facing the same direction, but we don't really have any connection or interest to all the people around us, just as long as we get there ourselves. That's not the church. We are to be like a family who has gathered around a table looking forward to talking to one another and that we are all giving and we're all receiving because this is a family that has gathered together. That's what the fellowship is intended to be. And in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. That's exactly what they did. And one of the clearest signs of our fellowship is that we love one another. Our brother had a wonderful sermon at the 9 o'clock hour, which began with that command, love one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. I tell you, the need for love in the church of Jesus Christ is so big, so massive, that it cannot be given by just some elders and preachers and deacons. It is, in fact, supposed to be the devotion of every member to love one another. 
It is our goal. Is to give the kind of love that one another needs so that we are strengthened in our faith and that we can serve effectively. There's a great text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 9 where Paul makes this statement to the Thessalonian church. He says, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Is that true? We've all been taught to love one another, right? Do we need another sermon on that? Notice what he goes on to say in verse 10. And indeed, you do so towards all the brethren. So you not only know it, you're doing it. And to all who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. The need is there. It needs more and more. The Apostle Peter put it this way. You have truly purified your souls in obeying the truth. You've been saved. You have fellowship with the Lord. That's great. What's next? He says, therefore, have sincere love for the brethren. Those who are saved become devoted to the fellowship. Caring about the people in this church. That's what it means to be devoted to the fellowship. And I might say that it also reflects the reality of our own relationship with God. This is how John thought of it in 1 John. If you want to talk about a text that tells you how to love your brothers, go to 1 John. And this is the point he makes. Listen to this. In 1 John 4 and verse 7, he says this, Beloved, let us love one another. Why? Well, because that's who God is. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So if you know God, you know love, and therefore you ought to love the brethren. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. So we go around and say, God loves me. Good. Does the love of God abide in you? It's only, you only be confident of that when you are loving the brethren. And then notice this statement in verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You see, the people who may say, I love Jesus, but I don't need his church. Or those people who live as though the church is an irrelevance. They don't understand the purpose of the church. What the church is, it is the physical presence of the body of Jesus Christ himself. And if we say, I love God, and if I say the love of God abides in me, but I don't love his body, which I can see, how in the world can I love God whom I cannot see? You see, John's point is that we need to be developed, devoted to the fellowship because it resembles and reflects the, the character of God. We share a common concern for one another. The body of Christ may have its scars, its inadequacies, and maybe even its paralysis. 
but we are devoted to the fellowship because we share the love for one another that the Lord had for us. But next, and I'll tell you, this discovery was shocking to me, and that is to learn that in the New Testament, the idea of fellowship was more often associated with the giving of our possessions than any other activity. Now, that's shocking. That's shockingly different from the way that we use the word fellowship. I mean, what is fellowship? We all know what it is. It's food and fun, right? That's fellowship. But in the scriptures, fellowship was most often expressed by the giving of possessions to share the gospel with the lost and to help and encourage and support the needs of the saved. That's shocking to me. For example, in the New Testament, I already said that the word communion is the word fellowship. But in the New Testament, the word contribution is koinonia. It's fellowship. And you see this, for example, in Romans chapter, uh, Romans chapter 15 and verse 26. Paul is writing to the Roman churches about some needs that were in Jerusalem, and he says this, It pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution, fellowship, for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. For them, giving wasn't an impersonal thing they did to keep the lamps on. Giving is something they did to express their devotion to the people of God and to the desire they had for the gospel to go out into the world. And that's what made their giving so joyful. That's what made their giving so effective. In Acts chapter 2, when they devoted themselves to the fellowship, how was it expressed? Verse 44 it says it was expressed by everyone coming together and giving so that all of the needs of the saints were being met. And the result, the church expanded. So they gave as an expression of their devotion to the saints, and it's what made it joyful, it's what made it effective, and I might add it's what also made it sacrificial. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth about how the Macedonians gave to help with the needs of saints in Jerusalem. And let me read to you what it says. 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches, that out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. And they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of, here's our word, koinonia. With the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. They were as poor as they could be. Their bodies were hurting and their lives were hard, but they were full of joy and sacrificial giving. You know why? Because they were devoted to the saints. That's what fellowship looked like in the New Testament. That when we are devoted to the fellowship, it takes on a whole new joy and a whole new priority in our lives. And we use our possessions 
to make a difference in the kingdom of heaven. But then on a practical level, the expression of this fellowship of towards the saints was seen in the way that we have a number of one another commands in Scripture. It changed the way that they looked at one another and behaved towards one another. And there's dozens of these one another commands. For example, when you're devoted to the fellowship, you stop doing some things. Like you stop biting and devouring and provoking and judging and envying one another. When you're devoted to the fellowship, you stop speaking evil and grumbling against one another. In addition, you start doing some things. When you're devoted to the fellowship, you will build up one another and receive one another and be kind and tender-hearted and forgiving and forbearing one another. You'll obey some commands like to serve one another and to practice hospitality towards one another without grumbling. You will admonish one another and instruct one another and submit to one another and comfort one another. You'll pray for one another and you'll greet one another. And I haven't even started with a list hardly yet. Do you have somebody like that in your life you're devoted to in that way? That's your place in the church. God has created His church so that His people might be devoted to the fellowship. Wow. It's not only children that have a hard time sharing, is it? We all do. We don't like to share our time, our money, our lives, and our affections. We want to keep them all for ourselves. But God has a place for us in His church. A place for people who have learned to share. They have learned to share with their world the saving message of the gospel. And they've learned to share their lives with one another so that they can continue their service to the Lord and their faith grow and be strong because he wants this world to see a testimony of people who are devoted to one another in love. Now, this is not just intended to be a sermon. It's intended to be a practice. And so what I'd like to end with is by thinking through just real quickly some practical ways in which we can express our devotion to the fellowship. And the first way I would suggest this is expressed is by making time for one another. The way we express our devotion to the fellowship is by making time for one another. You cannot obey those one another commands of Scripture without knowing one another. And that's one of the reasons why I sent out between Bible class or the first service and Bible class an email to you that's got this little attachment that's called getting to know you. By getting to know one another, we learn how better we can fulfill these one another commands. This church gathers together twice a week to worship together. It reminds us that our primary fellowship is with Him, but it is also an opportunity for us to maintain our fellowship with one another and even to deepen it. You know, it's been known now for years that families that gather around a table every day and eat are families that have a better ability to stick together in the long run. But somebody will say, well, it's just lunch. I'm going to do my own thing, right? It's just dinner. Well, I'll catch you on Saturday. 
And it's easy to put those things off that seem to be routine, but it is, in fact, the routine that maintains and deepens the relationship. And then maybe you can take the next step and fulfill what Brother Hersey shared with us this morning and obey the command to show hospitality towards your brother and sister. Have them in your home. Boy, I listened to that lesson. Gave you a lot of practical ways to do that. It's very good. Take them out to eat. Go on a day trip together. Do something to take time to be with, your believe, with other believers. Spending time together so that we might have the opportunity to build up each other's faith. And I suspect that for some of us, We've got so many other priorities in life that we simply can't devote ourselves to the fellowship. We're overextended at work. We use our time off for our trips and our activities and our shows and our events. We use our money tied up in kinds of things that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. And ultimately, at the end of the day, we don't have enough time or energy or strength to even think about the fellowship of believers, much less be devoted to them. And maybe this is a call for us to reprioritize our lives, to begin to think about how there are fellow believers that I meet with every Sunday that are starving for somebody to care. And I need to care for them. They need to care for me. Maybe we need to watch less entertainment and start using our evenings and our weekends to be devoted to the fellowship. Maybe we need to spend the discretionary time we have to think more about how I can serve the needs of the saints. All I know is that one way you show priority is by how we use our time. And that really is an expression of that word devote there. We spent all this time thinking about what fellowship meant, fellowship with the Lord, fellowship in sharing the gospel of the lost, fellowship with one another. But there's that word devote. And that word devote speaks of priority. And priorities are seen in time. But boy, if it's hard to give time, it's even harder to give the second thing. And that is money. We'd a whole lot rather give money than... uh, Time sometimes, but for some of us, giving money is a whole lot easier than giving our time. But those who were devoted to the fellowship gave things to advance the kingdom of heaven. In fact, there's no telling how much love could be shown and how far the gospel, gospel could be spread if believers put their money where their faith was. One Rother put it this way. For most of us, we could simplify our finances and sell our toys, and if we had enough faith, we would have more than we would ever need to advance the kingdom of God. That's what they did in the New Testament when they were devoted to the fellowship. In fact, there is something about giving that binds people together. I remember learning this one time dealing with a young man who had a strained relationship with someone in his family. And he kind of nursed this grudge that he had about this person until that young man ran into a financial problem. 
And when he did, this person in the family said, I'll help you out. And it was a genuine offer. I'll help you out. And the young man came to me and he said, do you think I should take it? And I said, well, why wouldn't you take it? And he said, because I don't want to give him the, you know, I want him to feel good for having done this. I want him to give him the satisfaction, that's what he said. I thought, well, that doesn't sound like a good idea. Why don't you just take the gift, say thank you, and do your best to pay it back as fast as you can. And I remember he took the gift, and he came back about three weeks later, and he said, you know what? I've never had a better relationship with this person in my life. I thought, yeah. I mean, that's what happens when you give, right? Giving binds people together. That's the gospel. <laughs> Jesus is in heaven, and God gives the best gift of heaven to meet our needs when we didn't deserve for them to be met. And as a result, we have fellowship with God and with one another. And until we learn to give and share things for the kingdom of heaven, we probably won't have much connection with one another, and we probably won't have much impact on this world. Sharing binds people together. The New Testament is taken up with this collection that was taken from the Gentiles, the people of Macedonia and Achaia, and taken over to the needy saints in Jerusalem. And yes, while the money helped with a need, do you know the main purpose behind it? R Romans chapter 15 says that the main purpose behind it was because it expressed the unity that should exist between the Jews and the Gentiles in the first place. And when we give to one another... And we practice hospitality and we give time and effort and money and uh, we do things together. What we are saying is you, you matter to me because you matter to the Lord and it creates a bond. Perhaps we need to reevaluate maybe what we're even giving to the work of this church. Maybe we need to open up our home or fix a meal, have people over. Maybe we can open our eyes to a need in this church and go and give somebody a check that would just make all the difference. But in whatever way we can, we need to use the perishable things of dust to make an eternal impact on people's lives. The Hebrew writer put it this way in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 16. He said, do not forget to do good and to share for which, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. And by the way, that word share, koinonia. Don't forget to fellowship by giving to help somebody's needs. God takes that as a beautiful sacrifice. Do we have a place in the church? Yeah, we've got a place of worship where God is at the center of all that we think and do. We elevate him whenever we come together. But there's another place that God wants for us in the church. He wants us to be a people, wherever we are, that are devoting ourselves to the fellowship. Oh, how we need that. And may God help us do that more and more. In fact, it is this fellowship that we have that was first created by the Lord. And if you're here this morning and you don't have fellowship with the Lord because sin has separated you from him, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to say, I need to be right with the Lord. And then if you're not in fellowship with the people of God and you need to commit yourself to that, 
then this is an opportunity for you to make that personal commitment in your life that I'm going to be what God created me to be. I have people in his church devoted to the fellowship. If you need to respond, please come as we stand and sing.